Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you want to carry your own child and you're physically able to, you should have that human right to have your first choice. And a lot of people at the moment are having that choice taken away from them and that right because they can't financially afford it and for us that's just that's just wrong now she goes around and she tells people how fabulous she is that she has two mums and she's super special hello and welcome listeners to some families i am lottie and hello i am Stu. and if you don't know already we are a one-stop shop for all things queer parenting so welcome back dear listener or a big hello to you if you are joining us for the very first time so Lottie I want to ask you how you are doing and I also want to check that you have your glass of parents ruin this evening our little tipple that we like to have while we speak to I our do. guests what are you uh, what are you partaking in tonight um, so I've discovered this new cocktail delivery company called Neo and I'm having a Negroni from this <sighs> Um, company and it's the most delicious Negroni I've ever had and it's been mixed in a by a barman in Italy and delivered to me so the taste do they is deliver delicious the, do they deliver the barman as well oh, wouldn't that be nice in that like would be that's little... the type of delivery service yeah. I would like for my what about you Stu what are you drinking tonight I just have a classic G&T with a little bit of lemon. Although I did make myself some um, gin sours over the weekend as well. And I think, I mean, I'm all about the sours, but I'd never made a gin sour before. But mm. it was uh, it was very, very nice. It got me through the evening. Yeah, well, I am actually taking it a little bit easy this evening because yesterday was, of course, Mother's Day. And my wife and I, at the end of the day, celebrated and toasted our almost coming up to three years of motherhood with um, a few cocktails then as well. So this is just the leftover from last night. Did you did you celebrate? What did you do? Um, we, every year we celebrate our nans, our nannies, my mum and John's mum. And so we make the kids to, to make things for, for the nannies. And so we just kind of put the focus on that. Um, and as time goes on, you know, my daughter and I have also had a conversation about her birth mother as it's leading up to Mother's Day. And I think actually, rather than being triggering, I think it's utilising these opportunities within the calendar to to talk to our children about who they are, where they came from and their life stories. So um, we're using it very much as an opportunity to, to do that whilst also celebrating our mothers. Lovely. Oh, that's so nice. I'll try and do a similar thing at Father's Day, I think. That's a really nice idea. We obviously have 
the yearly competition for who is the greatest mother because you know there can only be one greatest do you do, a, do, you do like a point system and then there's a big I have been secretly keeping a points scoring system for the past year and on mother's day I tell my wife how she has scored in relation to me in terms of general parenting ability and um, emotional labor no of course I don't do that <laughs> Is it bad that you I believed imagine? you for a second? Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my god. No, we had a lovely day and um both forced our daughter to make us cards and gave them to each other and it's just a nice forced. time to sort of <laughs> reflect on what it means to be a parent. But maybe maybe we should campaign for there to just be a gender neutral parents day. Oh, can you imagine the Daily Mail? Oh, what oh. with Mr. Potato Head, whatever next. Oh, my The world's word. gone mad. Don't even get them started, Lottie. Talking of mothers and wonderful mothers, that leads us on nicely to our wonderful guest this week, who is not only a mama herself, but she is actually the founder of the LGBT Mama's Tribe, which I'm sure you are all very familiar with. It is the wonderful Laura Rose Thorogood. Hello, and Hi. thank you so much for joining us on Some Families. We're big fans of yours and the LGBT Mummies Tribe oh, and everything you. that you do on social media and your campaign, which we'll all come on to later. But if you wouldn't mind just by starting by introducing yourself, who are you, where are you, what do you do, that kind of thing. <laughs> Bit of everything. I'm Laura Rose. I'm a lesbian mother of two plus bump. So we're expecting our third at the moment. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so we founded the LGBT Mummies Tribe organisation three years in January because when we tried for our children, we didn't really find there was a network or support net group or safe haven or community where we could share our experiences, ask for advice, ask for support. So we kind of winged it. So that's, that's why we created the organisation to educate, share, celebrate LGBT plus women and people like us who just wanted to start a family, whether it be through fertility treatment, home AI, adoption, fostering, co-parenting as a step parent, to give everyone that opportunity to get the advice on the paths to parenthood. Amazing. And do you do that full time or do you have a day job and then try and fit all of the work you do for the community around it? No, I work full time. My wife, Stacey, who's co-founder, is at home with the kids. And yeah, we fit it in evenings, weekends, late nights, around wow. around everything. <laughs> so wow. yeah. Do you mind me asking what you do for your main job? I'm an account director for like a sustainable procurement company. So I, I'm in sales. So wow, I travel a lot. that sounds like stressful and busy. And <laughs> two kids and then you're coming home so thank you for everything you're doing for the community right. because we, we really do appreciate yeah. it oh, thank you laura rose did you go did you go straight to ivf or did you try some other um, means of conception first well no when we obviously looked you're talking nine ten years ago to start a family we knew and we we checked that our local ccg with the nhs didn't cover us for funding what so- ccg Clinical commissioning groups. So basically, okay. every trust across uh, the NHS in the UK, they basically get a budget and then they decide how they spend that budget. And one aspect of it is fertility treatment. So, in regards to fertility treatment, they decide what the criteria is, whether you fit it, whether they offer it, or if they don't. So, it's really disparate across the UK. Some will, some won't. 
Some you'll have to pay for six rounds yourself or 12, or some they just don't offer it, or it's dependent on your BMI, your age, all these other criteria. So we knew we didn't have access, so we knew we had to pay privately. So for us, we decided, and you know, our route for us that was right was that we wanted to go through a private clinic and go down the RUI route to start off Mm -hmm. with. So that's the route we went down for our first and our second. And it was only this year when we were trying for our third that I have experienced fertility issues, quite substantial ones, comparison to when we had our second child, which kind of knocked us for six, really, because I'm relatively young and my ovarian egg reserve has halved in less than three years. So we kind of got told, your option is carry on with more IUIs and we'd had three failed or moved to IVF so we moved to IVF had a transfer of two embryos that failed and then had a frozen transfer which worked finally so okay fifth attempt yeah so um just to go into a bit of the techie detail for a minute you said the you had two embryo transfers that didn't work and then a frozen one did so with the two is that called the fresh it's a fresh transfer yeah so that happens like quite quickly yeah, so you have like a, a period where you're medicated, your ovaries are simulated, you then go in for a procedure, you have the eggs collected, then mm-hmm. they harvest them and cultivate them for five day, three to five days, depending on if they're going to put them back, and then they freeze the rest that are safe and, you know, not abnormal, and then they say, how many do you want to put back? And obviously, we were greedy at the time, we were like, we just want it to work, so we are wanted to put two top quality ones back thinking oh it'll definitely work I'm really you know relatively okay and it didn't work and we kind of it kind of really shocked us because we just weren't expecting it and then this time around we just said look we've only got three left frozen we're just going to put one back and hope for the best so luckily we did so you've got the three frozen embryos then are they all with with your eggs and could you talk us a little bit maybe about the decision of who who's you decided to use and who's you decided yeah. to and who decided to carry with each of your children as well so when with our first we discussed it and we said at first that I was going to carry because I was younger and my wife has severe PCOS and the NHS told her at 16 you'll never have children it's so severe you'll never carry a, a birth to term so in her head she was like I'll never you know be pregnant what's PCRS um, polycystic ovary syndrome okay little old gay me I never know the terms that <laughs> that's well. okay yeah just ask it's fine so she got told that she'd never have children and then we went to the clinic open evening and you know we asked the question they said look come for some tests come and see us and see how it goes and it may be a no but it might be a yes and they tested her and they said yeah you'll struggle and it may take time but you will fall and we don't see why you won't fall with IUI So that's why she went first. And then obviously I was desperate to carry. So when we went for our second, I carried. And then this time around, I kind of, after the birth of our son, I was just like, I want to carry again. It was the most amazing experience. I had a great, great pregnancy. I was working up until past my due date. I was in heels. Like, I had a lovely bump. (laughs) And then this time, I'm like, oh struggling it's been a really difficult pregnancy a lot of scares a lot of extra scans and just really quite frightening but Mm -hmm. every pregnancy is different and I think you get into kind of false sense of security that oh I had a great pregnancy I'll be fine but then it kind of God is like actually going to teach you a lesson you shouldn't think like that (laughs) and so yeah it's been a bit a bit a a lot more difficult this time a lot more frightening and so can I ask kind of for selfish reasons because it's maybe something that I'll be experiencing with with my wife so my wife um carried first and she 
got pregnant first time IUI. Oh, wow. Which I'm now realising what a miracle that was because it hasn't been as easy for me. But oh, one of the things I've been wondering is if and when it does work out for me, will I? do you think I'll feel differently towards the child that I've carried myself in my body versus my relationship with my child who my wife carried who's now two and a half that's a really good question do you know it does come up a lot and people do tend to ask us because we're both bio and non-bio mums we've both had the opportunity and it doesn't tend to happen as often with our community it tends to be one tends to carry one Mm. either is infertile has issues or financially they can't afford to have another one because it's so expensive and people do ask and know it you don't feel any different however you can't deny the bond that you have with your child so you know when our eldest when we were trying to get her to sleep and get her in a pattern I was like come on we've got we've got to do what we can we've got to get her into this routine and she was you you don't understand every time she cries she said it it's like my heart's being broken in two she went you understand when you carry and she said I don't mean that in a patronizing way but it's that's what I, I my wife said her. to me as well. She's like, yeah. every time she hears her cry, like it, her whole body yeah. kind of goes into like animal like mode. Yeah. And I and didn't it, have that as the non-bio mother. Like it bothered me when she cried, but it wasn't like a physical response. Pain, yeah. And then yeah. when I had our son, I said, I really understand because even now when he cries or when he's naughty and you have to tell him off, it's like it, it does pay, it pains you because you feel... Yeah, it's like a physical reaction, like, oh, you just can't stand it. And it is different. You do have a closer bond, and it is nature versus nurture. So if he's not well, he will come to me, and he'll want me more. And our daughter, if she's really ill, she will want my wife more. And it does hurt, but that's just the way it is. That's that bond. It's very difficult to break, not break that, but you know, they've got that bond. Whereas there'll be other things. She'll come to me for things and she'll want comforting and vice versa, he'll go to her. Mm. But yeah, you don't love them any differently. It's no different. It's just that when you have that child and you've carried them for nine months, that bond is very, very strong. And it's a, it's an amazing thing to mm. experience, to be able to be lucky to experience. And amazing to have experienced it from both sides, really. Like what an, a unique, privileged position to be in yeah well I mean we're we're really I think we thank our lucky stars every day that we're in a position where you know we really struggled to finance having kids but at the same time we appreciate how lucky we are because we support people globally and there's women and people in our support groups or that come to us you know just to vent or just to speak and they say we will never be able to afford to ever have a child of our own and what what we find it really painful is that we feel that everyone has the human right that they should have a child by their chosen route. So if they want to foster, and that's their chosen route, they should be able to foster. Same with adoption. If you want to carry your own child and you're physically able to, you should have that human right to have your first choice. And a lot of people at the moment are having that t- choice taken away from them and that right because they can't financially afford it and for us that's just that's just wrong it's not equal for most of our community what about these families that are you know in areas of social deprivation or they're from you know backgrounds where they'll never earn over a certain amount because they they're they're of a low income why are they being denied that opportunity to carry a child as a couple or a single woman or person why is that okay 
Why are they having to go down an alternative route? Or why are they going down a route, say, for example, home insemination, which some people choose first out? And it works and it's amazing and it's a great experience. But there are some people that come to us and the ramifications of the fact that they haven't had that as their chosen route to parenthood and they go down a different route and they're not legally protected, they're not well informed. And then 10 years down the line, their child has got a donor knocking at the door who signed a piece of paper that said he'd have no involvement and now he wants involvement. The impact on the child is huge. The government need to take this into consideration that our community needs protecting the child, the donor, the woman or person or the couple, and that it's not okay that people are not being supported on this path to parenthood. Why are we not getting the right access? Why are we not getting equal access? And for us, it's just, I get really ranty, sorry, but for us, it's just wrong. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. No, you're clearly passionate about it and you're clearly passionate for a reason. Just taking it, and I want to talk more about what you just said about the donor and, and things like that. Explain to us and explain to me what the what the means test is at the moment and where the kind of threshold stands for whether you're eligible or not for the IVF treatment on the NHS. There's no means testing. That's the problem. If the NHS hasn't got this massive pot of gold, and we know it hasn't, we know it's running at a deficit, people, they can't afford to fund our community and heterosexuals for treatment. If that's the case, and they go, look, we can't afford it, why not fund a means test? People of low income from areas of social deprivation who come forward and say, I will never be able to afford to have children through a fertility clinic, or I will never be able to have a child with my partner or co-parent if they have a known donor and want to go down a clinic route then support those people for you know people like myself and Lottie and other women and people in the community if we have to pay for it no it's not ideal it's not the best option we've spent in excess of 50 grand having our kids but we're lucky we've got our kids there are people out there that are still waiting 
Mm. So means test people provide that support to heterosexuals and the LGBT community who can't afford it. And then that way, at least those people are getting that opportunity. The children are protected. The parents are getting the route to parenthood that they wanted in the first place. And there's going to be less divorce, less issues, less mental health issues for the children. All of these things and all of this fallout is we see happening all the time. Mm. And the government don't collect data on us as a community. They, That's terrible, isn't it? It's really Lottie, it's horrendous. I sat in a mm. meeting the other day and brought it up and it was like, oh, yeah, we don't collect data on your community. And I was like, it's just, how is that even happening in 2020? What do you think it is? Is it is it latent homophobia? Is it just, like, the slowness of the government generally? What, what do you think's holding things back so much? I don't think it's latent homophobia as such. I think you'll get that anywhere across the NHS, across the government, and you will get the people that will say, oh, you know, they've got marriage equality, what more do they want? And I've, I've had that said by people before. And... The fact is, across healthcare and across our families, we don't have equality. We just have no visibility or support at all. When it comes down to it, it's just the time. Because we're growing exponentially, we're having families at a much quicker rate as a community than we were 10, 20, 30 years ago. Now we're having all these families. We're an amazing, beautiful community of different types of families. And instead of investing in education and training for midwives... GPs, health professionals to understand us, it's not happened because the policies haven't changed and moved at the same time as we've been growing. So now they're sitting there saying, we know, you know, you've brought it to our attention. These are really big changes we need to make. We know we do, but we've got COVID, we've got vain mortality. Both obviously are crucial and need to be dealt with. You're, you're there, you're on the list, but it's going to take a while to get to you. And these things don't happen overnight. But in the meantime... There's thousands of people in this country that just aren't getting supported and missing out on opportunities to have children, and it's just wrong. What's your next, what's your sort of first um, milestone? What would be a big thing for you to have achieved? Well, the current LGBT action plan that the government put in force previously has no mention of LGBT plus families across the community and how they can support us. It has no mention. It now supports trans people and non-binary people, which is amazing, and it's such a milestone. When it comes to families, they don't actually... There's no mention of us. So we met with the Government Equalities Office, we're involved with the NHS and other governing bodies and saying, look, these changes need to be made. Use of language, education and training of professionals so they have an understanding of our families. Data collection, basic data collection of how many of us there are across the country that have had children, if they've been had you know children by adoption children by foster they don't have this data how can you say that you want to support us if you don't know how many of us there are you know our children go to a doctor's appointment with an earache and you sit there and you have to come out of the closet every single time in front of your child and explain how your child was created and it's inappropriate it's not appropriate for your family if you don't want to have that discussion in front of your six-year-old of Oh, have I got a dad? They said, Dad, I haven't got a dad. You didn't tell me I had a dad. What's a donor? And you've had that conversation with your child in an age-appropriate way through a bedtime storybook that you've, you know, given them. And then they're questioning how they were made, their creation, their family unit. 
And that is really wrong because there's no data collected. There's no info on the buyer and the non-buyer mum on each of our children's notes. You have to go, oh, it was IUI. Oh, I'm the birth mum. Oh, I'm not the birth mum. Oh, so where's the dad? All of this happens so regularly to people. Your, your children's notes, your baby book. It says mother or father. I sat there at a midwife appointment the other week, crossed out father, wrote donor, and I had to do it on about five pages. Um, the midwives, like, you feel sorry for them because they're not given the support either. So they mm. sit there and they don't know what treatment you've had, what medication you've had. You know, they don't understand what you've been through. There's no understanding of your family unit. Like when we had our daughter... And the doctor said she didn't want me in there because I wasn't the real mum. Get out. I don't want her. I want the real mum. And for like a year and a half after that, as a non-bio mum, I mentally struggled and had to validate myself in every situation. People would say, oh, she's lovely. And I'd go, oh, yeah, I'm her mum. I look like a nutcase. I looked neurotic (laughs) because I didn't have anyone around at the time to say, I feel the same, or Mm. I'm a non-bio mum, and I've been through that. I've not felt valid. People have never addressed me in in an appointment. And all these things happen, and use of language, use of pronouns. People go, oh, it doesn't really matter if they don't... And it does. It makes a huge difference. There's people Mm. in our community that fought to be a woman, fought to be a man, gone through incredible procedures to be who they are and who they want to be, and yet we can't even give them the respect of actually asking them that question, that open question. Can I ask who's here? You know, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah I'm mum and I'm mum. Lovely. Okay, let's get you scanned. So mm. simple and easy, isn't it? We we'll oh. just put it like that. Mm. So simple. Yeah. Have you noticed a difference at all since the, the birth of your first child to, well, through to now, the pregnancy that you're going through now in the sense of the attitudes and the way that people have treated you and your wife along along the way? I think it was worse when we had our first but we had amazing midwives at the hospital we had they were fantastic they the two women that looked after us asked questions do you mind if I ask and you were like no we're so open and direct we're like no go on if you get it wrong it doesn't matter people make mistakes but you've got to educate them so they understand and then with our son we had an issue at the hospital with one of the midwives who was a bit rude but it tends to be a certain demographic of health professionals that you get discrimination from of a certain age, of a certain level of experience, that don't feel maybe they have the time or they want to, but that's not all of them. You can't generalise it, but it Mm. does tend to be a certain age of Mm. health professional you get that attitude from. And then this time, no, it's been better, but again, the health professionals that I've dealt with so far, but appointments, because obviously my wife can't come to anything at the minute because of COVID, just don't, don't know. And it's, it's, it's really unfortunate because the midwife looking after us at the minute is lovely and really experienced at her job, but spent two, two and a half hours sat there with me asking me what IVF was, like the type of IVF I'd had, naming my medication, spelling it out for her, going into detail about the procedures I'd had. And all she kept doing was apologising. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I said, it's not your fault. You haven't been told this. It's, you haven't been trained in this. And she was just getting more embarrassed. And for me, we need the support, but the staff need the support as well. So how can you support me if you don't know? And for us, we want to create positive outcomes. Policy needs changing, but we can help you. We'll educate you. We'll work with you to create a positive outcome. People are so scared nowadays because of social media, the way that society is, 
to actually turn around and say, can I ask you a question? Is it okay? I might get it wrong. So we try and say, no, ask the question, get it wrong, so that next time you meet someone like us or me, you'll get it right. And Mm. you know. And that's the problem. Everyone's scared of saying the wrong thing. So no one asks anything. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I always say that if it's coming from a good, if it's coming from a good place and it's coming from the heart and actually it's just curiosity without, without any malice behind it and they just Mm. want to be educated then we should be encouraging people to ask those questions in the right way Mm -hmm. in the right environment so could you talk to us a bit more about mummy's tribe and Mm -hmm. what it is as a resource do you or did you before covid do in-person events is it more of a network of people is it like a mum's net for gay women if you could just tell us a bit more about it so when we started it was just so like a community on Instagram a page just for other women and people globally to make friends and meet other families that looked like them and share lived experiences and then it just kind of blew up overnight and it you know we did a post about being a non-bio mum and shared our experiences and we had thousands of people messaging in and just saying I felt like that and oh my god I'm so glad you said that because that's me and I've been in that situation and I've suffered depression and I've not felt supported and then we set up our support groups. So we have support groups, we have the community where people share and we feature people's, you know, gotcha days, their fostering panel approving, um, all these different celebratory parts of the journey and miscarriage and loss. People want to talk about that. We want to take the stigma out of that. And then we do have events. So we've had two events where we had about 130 women and people come together with their bumps, their children, their older children, their partners, just to make friends because... You, you both probably know, it's difficult to meet other families locally. You always seem to be the only gays in the village. <laughs> and it's good for our children to meet others like them. And our daughter walked in and went, oh, my gosh, mummy, the, these, these little girls and boys, they're just like me. And they've got uh, two mummies, or that one's got a mummy just like me. And I was like, yeah, they're special, just like you. And it's really important that that our children see themselves in other families because otherwise they feel isolated, they feel different and it's not different in a good way and it's just them. Now she goes around and she tells people how fabulous she is that she has two mums and she's super special. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) That's brilliant. I love that. So it's, you know, bringing everyone together, having the support groups, the campaigning is to make real change. But so people can just feel less isolated and alone. And we've got people in Russia, Australia, we've got people in Hawaii, Canada, all over the world. And they all mm. talk and they make friends. And we've had people actually meet up and send us a picture and say, oh, we've, we've met up with this family that we met through your organisation. And that's just, you know, that's so it's nice. a great feeling. On that point, there's families all over the world that are, that are coming together. Specifically on the on the IVF element, have you found that there's other countries that we could learn from that are doing it better? Depending on what state you're in, in America, if you have a certain level of private health insurance, whether it be your own that you've paid for or if it's through uh, your work, so an employer can provide or does provide health insurance, and under that health insurance it can cover fertility treatment so it either can cover medication or it can cover a certain amount of rounds or it'll cover full IVF and in some states some people are really lucky that they just get full reciprocal IVF or IVF 
straight off the bat. And it doesn't discriminate against their sexuality either. That's just for anybody that, that... Dependent on state. Okay, that's really interesting. I think that's the second time, actually, so far in some of our interviews that we've done recently where the states are actually better at us. Yeah, we've been surprised. Family yeah. Opportunity. Yeah. And something that I've been thinking of with my personal journey at the moment is, like, mm. what impact it would have on my decision-making if money was completely taken out of the equation. Because so so much of the conversation of like, what should I do next? Should I do this? Should I do that? Comes down to money. And mm-hmm. it's such a, a horrible situation to be in, to feel like I'm making decisions about the family that I long for and the rest of my, the kind of life that I want to lead, you know, and it's coming down to, do I have enough cash in my bank account to facilitate yeah. that? And it's kind of depressing and I wish it wasn't the case. I think it's awful because it takes the actual excitement out of it. It's a journey and for a lot of people, they will only do it once. It should be an exciting journey. It should be fun. You know it's going to be difficult. But the financial strain for most people across our community is a a bugbear because it's the part that, you know, puts that pressure on your body that you don't need to go, oh my God, if this doesn't work, where are we going to find the money for next time? Or is it going to have to be put back or postponed because we haven't got that cash? Are we going to have to go and get another credit card or a loan or borrow money off family? Or this is the last embryo we've got. This is our last chance. And we have people in that position and it's horrible. It's horrible. And there'd be so many happier people who would be able to enjoy their experience, like you said, if they didn't have that financial pressure over their head. And also, for somebody who's listening, who wants to help and help this, you know, the cause and help what you're trying to achieve, what, where can they go for help? What can they do? Is it just a case of just keeping an eye on the, the, the campaigns that you're putting out there on LGBT Mummy's Tribe, etc.? We share a lot of other people's petitions. Whitney and Megan, who are currently starting their treatment they're really lovely so we shared their petition so they wanted a petition to go live about the fact they wanted to go down the home insemination route but couldn't because in the UK you can't have sperm shipped from a sperm bank to your home but you can in America so they had to go down a more expensive route so they're trying to campaign for fertility inequality so that the postcode lottery within the UK is looked at which that's what we've been doing as well there's another woman heterosexual woman called amber Rizzo, who's been fighting from the heterosexual point of view she's got one there's another campaign that we're about to share in regards to two parents being on the birth certificate if they go through home insemination at home because at the moment people aren't legally both on the birth certificate unless they go through second parent adoption so there's so many that we share but obviously for us we can't take all of these things on we're trying to do bits at a time and it, it does take time but for us healthcare wise we all of this information through obviously the channels and organizations and with the nhs we we pass that on we pass that feedback on so we'd always say to anyone if you're experiencing difficulty if there's something you feel needs to be challenged come to us talk to us you know we'll name you we'll say that you've been involved we'll pass that feedback on we'll feed that back to the tribe And we want people to be involved. The whole point is it doesn't just come from our lived experience, it's from everyone's. And for those listening who who want to embark on having a family um, and want to be 
bio parents one way or another but don't have the money what's your advice for them as their first as their first steps is it still an option for them to be parents it's a really horrible question (laughs) but it's it's a truthful question um when people come to us now and say that and they say our local ccg doesn't support us we can't get treatment what can we do if I had a pot of gold, I'd pay for everyone, you know, if you won the lottery. But there isn't much you can do. You can offer them the fact that there are alternative routes to parenthood. There are a lot of amazing children in the system and in social care that need homes. You know, Stu, you know more than anyone from your experience that there's a lot of children that need to be loved. And yes, they're, that might not be their chosen route, but if you can't have a bio child and you know you desperately want a child and you want to change someone's life, adoption and fostering is something that you can really, really make a huge difference and, you know, love that child unconditionally. It doesn't make a difference whether you've carried them or not. You'll still love them. But unfortunately, in our community, a lot of women and people tend to want to carry, and if that's their chosen route, that's their right. There's not much you can do other than go down the home insemination route and we'd say, come to us seek out a lawyer make sure that you are legally informed to make sure that you do everything the right way to make sure you're protected regardless you need to be protected your child needs to be protected and the donor needs to be protected you've all got to be in agreement of that child's future that's the most important thing Mm. we are working with uh, one of our partners called fertility help hub one of our friends and they've got an initiative which is going to help some people restart their journey that's been affected by covid or that can't afford to go down the treatment route so a handful of people will be supported through this initiative so if people are listening please keep an eye out on their page and our page because it could really change some people's lives and it's it's a global initiative so it will affect people globally so just keep an eye on that and that may be able to help that sounds brilliant thank you for sharing now laura rose on the show this season we have a new segment which is show and tell which is where Lottie and I bring something and sometimes our special guest aka you today Laura Rose (laughs) we get you to share something with the class so Laura Rose what have you brought with you today I've brought a book because I think education with our children is really really important learn behavior learning at a young age and we do book readings so each month we will do one or two book readings where we'll get an author of a book to do a video and read to the tribe at six o'clock and we'll announce it and post it and the children can watch it back and listen. You can listen to it with your, and watch it with your children. So this is a book that we featured a while ago and we might put it up again called You Were Made For Me. Oh, I haven't come across that one. It's amazing. And there's so many different ones. There's Mum and Mum by Donor Sperm, Dad and Dad, Child by Donor Egg. There's Single Mum by Choice. There's all these different books that she's done. And the lady's called Sherry Cerniolo. And it's all about before you were born and we dreamed about you. And then there's a section that says, just like a puzzle with pieces that fit to make up a baby, you'll need quite a bit. But no matter how much or how often we dreamed, we didn't have all the pieces you need. So finding those pieces, we just had to try to make you our baby. We reached high and high. And it has these really beautiful images. Oh, that's like sent shivers down my spine. I think she does adoption and fostering ones as well. But they're they're beautiful. You can get them on Amazon or her website. But 
it's a really, really good book for... Oh, thanks for sharing. I'm definitely going to get that. I'll send you the link. Because my daughter's just at the age where um, yeah, we're starting to talk about it. Yeah, we'll include a link on the show notes. Well, on well. our website as well, there's a section for LGBT plus family books. So whenever we um, review or we put a new book reading up, we add it on there so that people can actually see loads of different books. And that it tells you about what the books are about. Brilliant. So can, oh, what so. an amazing resource. Oh, well, thank you so much, Laura Rose. Thank you. So I've been, like, ranting. <laughs> no, you're an absolutely brilliant spokesperson. And thank we you. need people like you in the community to be fighting the good fight. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And you guys. Thank you. I think the work that she's doing is so so important and I'm so grateful for the time that she puts in on top of having a full-time job and a family we hope you enjoyed that listener it was wonderful to have her show and tell as well what a beautiful book we will put a link to that in the show notes and listener if you think you've got something that has your seal of approval and you wish to share with your teachers Ms. Jeffs and Mr. Oakley then do share with us send us a DM or you can email us at where Lottie? Some families at storyhunter.co.uk. And you can also find us on Twitter and on Instagram at somefamiliespod. Or check out our website, somefamiliespod.com, where you can find all the transcripts and lots of all, not lots of all, in fact, all of the past episodes. So thank you so much for listening and we really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did recording it. We'll be back next week with another one. Until then, bye-bye. Goodbye. This episode was produced and edited by Hattie Moyer. Some Families is a Story Hunter production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.